Hello and welcome to the Green Majority Program. Thank you so much for listening. Before we get to the show really quickly, I will just remind our listeners that if you appreciate and support what we do here at the Green Majority, you can become a Green Majority member. You can do this for as little as a dollar a month, where what we call a tip on the website. If you are uh, not feeling uh, like you have a ton uh, to share but wish to support the program, you can uh, at least sort of let us know uh, that you uh, would love to give more if you could uh, by leaving us a tip at the patron account. You can also just uh, leave a recommended uh, membership of 5 or $10 a month uh, at uh, patreon.com as well. So p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash green majority. We have a great interview with you today. I apologize for some of the sound quality. We did the best we could with what we had. And uh, other than that, please enjoy the program. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. If you're listening live, it is Friday. If you're not, pretend it's Friday. It could feel like a Friday. Oh, Stefan, we can't hear you. What am I, what am I doing wrong here? Hold on a second. We can't hear Stefan yet. So while we're, while we're fixing Stefan, uh, let's see what we can do fixing Stefan. All right. Well, I'm just going to talk for a second. So what was coming up on the show, Stefan had a really funny comment that we couldn't hear. Um, but uh, what's coming up on the show is we have uh, some news, obviously, as usual. Uh, we also have um, uh, an interview, which is going to be with uh, Deanna uh, Besserford uh, Kroger, who is the uh, essentially the host of a documentary called uh, Call of the Forest. Uh, and then we are all also going to be doing a variety of uh, Trump stuff this week. We try normally, uh, as I said before, to avoid Trump stuff. Uh, but uh, hello. Oh, I can hear you, Stefan. You can hear me. Yeah, amazing. I'll Back. try and make it so that you can hear me. <laughs> all right. So, so we're going to be doing that. Unfortunately, I was just—I uh, don't know if you could hear me there, Stefan. But we were just—we uh, were just in, uh, warning people that we're, you know, despite our attempt to avoid Trump at all costs, you have to talk about Trump. It's true. I have to talk mostly about Trump. Okay. Or, so or at least what's happening. I, I usually I, I can probably avoid the word a little bit. But. You could make up another word to replace that. Either way, Stefan, take it away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, yeah. So this is uh, this is sort of like an uh, an update to some extent. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like, you you know, like you look away from a toddler for a while and you look back uh, and you're just like and, and you're like and you can sort of see that the, the toddler's now all messy, but you don't know how it got there. Uh, the United States is that toddler, um, and this is how they got there. So what this really is, is it's a, it's a great article from The Guardian, uh, just sort of going through all of the different rollbacks that, while Trump hasn't seen a lot of success in some of his other uh, initiatives uh, being pushed back, and, and he's actually had some failures here too, as I'll, as I'll cover, they've done a pretty good job, or they've been a very quiet and effective job, uh, good seems like the wrong word for this, uh, of removing a just a ton of... Uh, of regulations that were built up during, uh, not only during, largely during what the Obama administration is, but also, but even further, uh, just, and it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's categorical. It's been going. It's been going on basically since they started. Uh, well, the first one's in early February. So, yeah, since since Valentine's Day, they've, they've, which which was the first of this, it goes it goes all the way down. So I'm going to sort of recap that a little bit. Uh, briefly chat about what. Um, 
what is going one of the failures they've had actually they, just got, they got pushed back on one of their rules they tried to get rid of uh, which which the court disrespected and then I'm going to segue that into how all of this is actually and all of this work needs to be understood as uh, an attack on 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 not on on not only just people but on on specifically uh, already marginalized people specifically poor people um, and a new study has come out talking about how about how basically the people who are already sort of worse off in America will 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 feel the brunt of climate change which is a, not a new thing but it's actually a fascinating study it's, it came out in science so to top that off what has been happening in the states. Uh, as I mentioned, it began It began on Valentine's Day uh, when he signed a bill repealing the anti-corruption rule that required energy companies to disclose payments to foreign governments. Seems like a audacious beginning. You know, the first thing, the first thing, I wanted, the first thing you want to do uh, with, with your environmental rules is to just let pipeline companies get money from anywhere. Although that's sort of Trump's MO to some extent is just, yes, money can come from anywhere, specifically Russia. Please give me money. Please give me money. As long as it's money and so he gets some of it. He's green. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is also why today, I believe it's today, he's meeting with Putin uh, and the only other American in the room who is on a translator will be, uh, will be Tillerson. So you have, you know, the, so there's, you know, there's Trump and then there's a former uh, Exxon exec uh, and then Putin. And that's the and then another I think another uh, Russian and then two. That's it. That's everyone in the room. At least that was originally planned. So not surprising that the first thing he does is basically let oil companies get money from anywhere. Uh, then it continues on doing things like I'll, I'll have to run through these a little faster because there's a bunch. But uh, he he stream, he got rid of a stream protection rule, which prevented mining companies dumping their waste into streams. Is axed under the Congressional Review Act. Um, so he then he then continues assault on water. Still in February, this is February 28th, uh, instructs EPA to rewrite the Waters of the United States rule, which expanded the definition of Clean Water Act to protect water supply for around seven 117 million Americans. Um, and so, uh, you know, sure. Why not? Let's get more rid of more water. Perhaps uh, he, perhaps he just misunderstood the point of like water, world water month or something. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. You know, it goes the other way, Donald. <laughs> um, on March 2nd, uh, he came out, uh, and, uh, tr- basically, uh, basically Pruitt actually this time, uh, stopped collecting methane emissions from about 15,000 oil and gas operations. Apparently that's like just, like let alone let let alone just having a rule. They're not collecting information anymore because that's obviously not allowed. Um, then he announces on fifteenth of March he announced a review of vehicle fuel efficiency standards. Uh, that basically he wants to let people you know he wants you know he wants to loosen the rules around vehicle efficiency standards which Obama had put in uh, on the twenty eighth of March. Uh, he let's had, just let's just pause for a moment. <laughs> they want things to be less efficient. That, yes. We don't really need to say anything else, but I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what is your actual defense of that? Uh, the, the, the defense was, is it costs more money to make these cars, I guess. I don't know. The ones that are already being sold that hasn't crashed the economy. Yes, exactly. Um, and, yeah, and, you know, you're still, you're still dealing with the real commissions of California, so you're basically, you're, whatever you're doing has to be as good as California. Because if there's one thing we know about Americans is they don't own enough cars. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's more, yeah, exactly. The availability of cars is the most important thing here. Still in March, he, uh, he pens a sweeping executive order. I should, oh, I should, it says penned here in the article, but in reality, let's be real, there's no way he wrote this. He signed this thing, uh, which ordered a rewrite of the EP clean power plan uh which was really the, th- the thing that obama got passed the, the clean power plan was the major part of obama's climate legacy it was uh a large part of of, of remo- more tr- a large part of sort of the destruction or the the dissuading of using coal came from this clean power plan 
Uh, also, he also um, ended a moratorium on coal mining and public land because, you know, sure, let's just oh, – because coal is such a booming resource right now that we, that, that, is, that we should be destroying public land for it. Um, he also in that same in the same that same single executive order also then removed uh, climate change as consideration when approving federal projects. So that was one order that managed to get rid of the clean power that rewrite the, that ordered the rewrite of the clean power plan, allowed coal mining on on public land, and uh, dropped climate change from consideration when approving federal projects. All on March twenty eighth, and then March twenty ninth. They come back, uh, and uh, Scott Pruitt denies a bid to halt the use of chlorophylls uh, while they use pesticide the next day. You know, uh, and then they took a week off, uh, and then in April, uh, a court grants an EPA request uh, to delay uh, implementation of ozone pollution standards that were made start in 2015. Uh, so that's you know, and again, ozone is you create smog and can trigger you know health things. These are, but you know. The, the, the EPA is asking to d- not to delay things because that's how the EPA works now. Uh, two days after that, they, pa- they, pauses, uh, they pause a regulation that curbs the dumping of toxic materials such as ar- arsenic and mercury by power plants into public waterways because, uh, you know, that should be allowed. I, I like the idea of pausing. Like it's as if like they're, they're, this, is a, this is a point in which like, okay, for a little while you can dump more mercury in the water. Uh, that's fine. Um, then he takes another two weeks off. So the 27th of April, he comes back uh, and convinces the U.S. appeals court to hold a challenge by the state's uh, industry groups to, to a, an obama Center rule aimed at reducing toxic emissions from power plant stations. So again, this is back to power plant stuff. Um, you then take a whole month off from doing things that are bad. Um, well, at least this particular that type w- of bad. That we know about. That we know about. Um, he was probably <laughs> kicking puppies for the whole time. Yeah, yeah, from April 27th to May 23rd. Yeah. Uh, just puppy kicking time. Um, and then uh, they do a three-month pause uh, as put on landfill methane rules. Uh, so this, Because, you know, again, why not? Let's just allow methane to go everywhere. Um, then June 13th, uh, the EPA announces a plans for a two-year pause on regulations that would reduce emission emission leaks from oil and gas operations. Uh, and then two weeks after that, the the EPA, along with the U.S. Army, proposes to scrap the clean water rule, um, which again was previously just you know amended. Now it's being tried to scrapped, uh, and would uh, reverse the Obama era move that expanded federal protection drink water to around a third of all Americans. Uh, and apparently that was to provide regulatory certainty for our nation's farmers and businesses. Uh, perhaps there's no certainty for the one-third of Americans who want to know if their water is drinkable. Well, in, in his defense, it's only going to affect poor people. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, 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 well, actually, uh, the, the one-third of Americans, that's a lot of Americans. Um, uh, there's so a lot of poor people in America. That, that is true. Yeah, fair enough. Um, it's a lot of them living in the middle of the line. I'd be inter- they'd be interested to know actually where those... Uh, what the actual parsing of that of, of the water that they're actually protecting is uh, compared to the the quality of, of life for the people around it. Um, but so so that's those are all of the things. That's like that's a very quick rundown. We'll post the article obviously on uh, online of all of the different rules that are currently being scaled back and peeled away piece by piece by piece. Seemingly uh, just, just you know this is like a this is like there's there seems to be almost no. 
it, it both feels uh, very targeted, but also just almost willy-nilly. It's almost like they're just like, what rules can we get rid of? All of them. Great. Let's just get rid of all of the rules. It's like, you know, it's like they've hiring industry to email them things that they don't like, and then they're just doing whatever they ask. Yeah. Uh, which, to be fair, is basically what Scott Pruitt said he's out to do. So if you are judging him by the fact that he said, I am going to make the EPA back to its roots, which was helping American business, uh, because that's what the EPA apparently was doing originally, um, then, then, you know, then, then you're not wrong. Economic Protection Agency. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. So, sorry, I, oh, no, I was, can I, is this a good spot to pivot a bit? J- jump in. Okay. Uh, so I don't actually have it in front of me. I'm going from memory, but you made me think of it um, just now. Uh, I was reading an article. I believe this is a National Observer article. Again, I'm not certain, but pretty sure. Um, I'll find it if I need to. Um, but it was basically talking about how it, it no, it wasn't. No, that was, no, it wasn't. That's what was interesting about it. It was an American article. It might've been from the Washington post or something like that. And it was talking about how it was very, it was talking about Justin Trudeau's, uh, relative success, uh, with avoiding international controversy and conflict with Donald Trump by a very specific, uh, method, which, um, which is taking advantage of an, of an inherent advantage of our proximity, uh, to the United States. And it was very interesting. And so uh, I found it incredibly interesting. So apparently what um, the Trudeau government has been doing is that they've been trying to go as much as possible around Trump. Now, that's something we've advocated for, but it, there's a logistical thing. And here's sort of the thing that I hadn't really considered until I read the article, which was that there's a proximity problem, which is that <clears throat> going around Trump, what that means is that going and having face-to-face meetings with governors, and in many cases, uh, mayors of towns, is unprecedented political activity for uh, the federal government of Canada to be accessing local mayors and governors across the United States in face-to-face meetings to help try and push policy one way or the other or to try and soften things that might impact Canada negatively. Very interesting. I was fascinated. I was sort of one of those like, oh, well played. And the, where the logistical point comes in is that, you know, something if a decision happens or a decision is about to happen, they'll hear wind of it through these contacts. So they've essentially infiltrated the United States with all these non-spies, right? They're, they're known. They're not spies. They're known agents of the government, but they've essentially infiltrated, a.k.a. made contact and developed relationships with people at, at all levels of government throughout the United States. And, and so if a decision comes out, if they hear through one of these contacts that something's about to go down, you know, in the next 24, you know, 48 hours, that's going to affect Canada. They have the federal government has through these contacts and through these local uh, through a system of local people are able to sort of like, well, maybe, you know, that really wouldn't be good for this or that. And effectively, they're lobbying, but in a very creative way. And the logistical part is that is that in 48 hours, it's very difficult to get, you know, the counselor, uh, some representative from Germany to go and find 16 mayors, you know, and, and to do this. So our proximity sort of has a huge advantage where it's other countries sim- simply can't do this into a large respect. And I found that very, very interesting. But where the reason I'm relating this story to what you were just saying was that that's sort of a double-edged sword here as we're seeing. So uh, the newest news that was I did read for today's show was that uh, Trudeau is uh, trying to, uh, and many other governments, are trying to use the G20, which is obviously about to start, uh, to push Trump on climate change, get him to say something on climate change. If he says something, I don't think you'll like it. But th- that's sort of the, that's the phrasing they've been using. And one of the comments in that article uh, was that uh, Trudeau has apparently been trying to lobby Angela Merkel from Germany, uh, the counselor from Germany, um, to sort of like ease up on Trump. And so what he's not saying, if I understand correctly, it's he's not saying that, you know, hey, we should go along with this guy. What he's saying is like, hey, let's not be so confrontational. 
And let's, you know, let, you know, either use, borrow my tactics or let me help you to go around him so that we can sort of get the best thing we can from him by going around him and also not uh, provoke him because he's obviously so sensitive and, and, you know, needs such a safe space that, that so much as an errant blade of grass will make him cry and throw a temper tantrum. So, uh, which is not unrealistic. The problem is, and the reason I wanted to highlight that is that, um, I don't think that will work. I don't think it will work for the reason I just outlined, which is that Canada is in a unique position. And while Trump uh, or while uh, Trudeau has been largely successful uh, with a couple of exceptions in avoiding Trump's wrath or, or political uh, fallout from the Trumpian government, um, that we're sort of because of that inherent problem, we're latched up. We're essentially we're avoiding problems in the short term, but we're still we're not disengaging at all from the Americans in the long term. And I think, as I've said before, that is something that should need to be on the table. As we're seeing countries like Japan and I think it was Japan and India just signed this massive NAFTA like free trade agreement as the world is now reorganizing to go around the Americans. They're doing they're doing this, but in the macro, they're doing the same thing, but at a macro level. They're saying, "Okay, I'm not going to go to the micro and sort of go around you to work within American politics. We're just going to say forget American politics and we're going to go outside of that. And what I'm really concerned about long term is that Canadians go down with the ship and that we avoid the short term problems of irritating this wannabe dictator uh but in the long term we get worked around also in this new reorganization of global power and that's really long term politically speaking what i'm concerned about uh, as far as canada's personal perspective and its relationship to the americans and the rest of the world i i think it'll be very difficult i mean i don't know what you think Sam, but i think it's going to be very difficult for trudeau or any future canadian governments to have its cake and eat it too with relationship to not getting excluded from this new global reorganization but also not you know, upsetting the Americans. I, I, I don't think there's, I don't think you can do both. Yeah. I, I think you can, you know, I, we're kind of a small player no matter what, you know, there's a level of this is, which is that we, we sort of do our, our, you know, our, our thing about having a lot of natural resources and being 30 million people. Uh, and so there's like a, there's a, there's an, there's an inherent piece of this that we'll never really, will never really matter. Like to some extent, like all, all of our, all of the, any power you might have would be to do with, um, you know, connecting the, doing sort of this sort of politicking and, and, and be like, hey, we, we like we like your idea. Let's help out here, blah blah blah. But we're never, you know, we're just too small on a global scale, at least from a level of uh, of economic size, uh, to be able to, to to go out on our own no matter what. So I sort of like you know like whatever is the sort of thing to keep us at least to some extent, like in and around the conversation, I think that's all you can really hope for. Uh, but uh, so we've run out of time for this segment, um, which means that I will have to get to the, uh, the, the methane piece and also the, um, the, the climate change study, which actually is really interesting in the final segment, uh, because it's my understanding that we have a, uh, we have a guest coming in the, in the middle section, which is exciting. And so the, the only thing I'll throw out about this uh, to, end the, to end this piece is that just to, to f- jump all the way back to the conversation we're having about uh, Trump and, and these rules is that there was one uh, – he's actually lost a couple cork battles, but he recently lost another one on, on his attempt to uh, delay the uh, methane rule in which – it was a. It was a rule. It came out. It was a lawsuit filed by five green groups. Or, or filed June fifth by green groups uh, that opposed the EPA's uh, stay of the rule. And so what's interesting is that what's actually happening here is the law is basically saying that trying to delay the rule uh, was the same as just getting rid of it. 
uh, or revoking it, and therefore you can't do that. Which is interesting because like the EPA could just get rid of it. Like that's the next option here. But at the very least, they're not allowed to just stay it. And so it's going forward. And again, unless of course. Uh, you know, this this is again about this is about methane, which they've already decided that they can just not collect data on. So whether so, what this rule really means, I think, is maybe more of a importance for if it survives the four years to be re to be to exist later, rather than what's going to happen in the next four years. But it's still a victory that we should be happy about, and it shows that the courts and the checks and balances in the United States system are at least still doing something. You know, the 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 EPA actually has lost three now. Uh, different rules. Uh, one about mercury, one about pesticides and endangered species, and then and then this oil and gas and methane. Uh, so at the very least, there is some checks and balances going on, and so all is not completely lost. Uh, but it's not great. Yeah, and we'll we'll come back to this after the interview because I think G twenty and and the the, the law, actual laws changing in the United States or failing to change I think is is worth discussing today. So uh, we'll come back to that uh, after the interview, of course, and that interview uh, will be after this music break, which is it uh, with Buffy Saint Marie and Tanya Tajik. Uh, you got to run, Spirit of the Wind. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, and uh, in the studio with Stefan Hossetter, but we're uh, not going to talk to Stefan for a few minutes. He's going to sit there and listen, I think, uh, or play on his phone. I'm not sure which. No, he's listening. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking to Diana uh, Beresford-Kroger, who is a scientist, uh, specifically a botanist and a biochemist. Uh, she is also the host, I would say, of the uh, documentary Call of the Forest, uh, which uh, came out, I believe, last year. I have to confirm that uh, with her, uh, but is is going to be having a screening in Toronto coming up soon, uh, and I'm sure there will be opportunities to find it elsewhere uh, as well. We'll ask her about that as well. So, uh, and uh, listeners of the show will know that I'm a big fan of talking to people involved with documentaries. Um, for a variety of reasons. We'll get into that during the interview as well. But uh, before I get any further into uh, talking about Diana, let me introduce uh, Diana. Welcome so much uh, to The Green Majority. Well, it's my pleasure to speak to you, yes. Um, I've uh, as I was just saying, I'm I'm a very mm-hmm. big fan of documentaries and speaking to people involved uh, with them because I, I find it to be a very fine form of uh, sort of learning and and but also sort of your all of your senses are are, enga- are engaged in a way that that video often can't and and I found that that uh, Call of the Forest was no exception. So I'd like to ask you. Uh, I, I actually watched it right before the program uh, today. Most of the film I was uh, kind enough to be shared a, a sort of sneak copy of it, um, and I liked it very much. And I'd sort of like to to. I'm not going to ask you to, to ruin the film in any way, but I'd like to. I'm going to move through it uh, yeah. with some specific questions, sort of in order as they occur in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the uh, first things that come up that you talk about uh, in the film is that this idea. You have natural medicines and the the forest bathing, and you spend a little bit of time talking about this. This mm-hmm. is done in Japan. Yeah, um, yeah. And again, I don't want to I don't want you to ruin the film at all. But if you can just sort of go over that concept, sort of very generally for for the audience. Well, uh, forest bathing is a very ancient technique. Um, it is uh, it started in Mount Kurama in Japan, and that was uh, about one thousand six hundred years ago that it was documented there. It is also part of the Celtic culture. Now, that didn't come into the film. Um, The Celts used a form of forest bathing, and that in ancient Celtic words was called Tig Nalish, and that is the house of perspiration, which is the modality of getting your skin saturated. And the Aboriginal people here, too, in all of North America, use what's known as the sweats or the sweat lodges. In India, 
India, they did use a form of aerosol uh, systems for the burial of the dead. This is a very, very ancient technique to protect the body from and the immune system from diseases. And that's one of the one of the things that I very much enjoyed about sort of the, the way that the film was put together is you 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 I, I'm assuming very intentionally uh, mm-hmm. alternate between these uh, between sort of three different pegs. One of them being the sort of uh, hard science, and you even show yeah. like the chemical yeah. uh, uh, properties, uh, 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 the maps of the chemical properties of some of the things you're talking about. You also talk very much and 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 experience very much via the film the sort of cultural and emotional and sort of spiritual connection. Uh, and then you also talk about um, sort of utility functions and sort of uh, what you might say more modern uh, interpretations of this and the inherent conflicts sometimes that occur between them. So with, with that as the basis, one of the things that, that came up and, and it was sort of one of those things that surprised me was when you get to Ireland uh, was that discussion of the fact that it actually used to be entirely covered with trees. And of course that should be obvious, but I was in uh, Scotland, which is of course close by and it, we're very similar thing where you go and it seems like you're in a giant mini putt golf course because there's moss everywhere but there's no trees can you talk about that cultural significance about the trees and the loss thereof to the cultural significance uh well well this is a whole big huge thing that i would love to do a big program with you or with somebody on this some days scotland and ireland and going into even to the uh plateau of turkey was the Celtic culture once upon a time, a huge Celtic civilization going up into Ukraine. And what happened in the last, let's say, 600, 700 years is that the English colonized all of the Celtic culture. They wanted to destroy the Celtic language in Ireland and don't forget in Scotland because the Scots are Celts, you know. So the, the, the Celts were a woodland people. And to destroy the woodland people, you have to take the trees away. And that's what happened. And that period of time was called the penal laws of the 500 years of colonization of Ireland and Scotland. And in some cases, people were even burnt in their houses. The house, the thatch of the house in Scotland that happened, in Ireland it happened. In Ireland, to terrify the people and to, to get rid of their culture, similar thing to what happened here in North America. They stuck the firstborn child's head on the top of a pike in front of the house. And they did that to other people. And they made the people march in line through the cordon of pikes with the heads on the pikes to terrify them and get rid of the language. That's very horrifying. It's terrifying. And the Scots have come to to North America, all over the world. The Irish have all over the world. And they carry the traces of that. And we had a democracy in Ireland, and we had a democracy in in Scotland, too, as a matter of fact, based on trees. And the basing of that uh, democracy was based on the Brehon Laws, B-R-E-H-O-N, the Brehon Laws. And they were there prior to Magna Carta. And actually, they're being picked up in Ireland right now. And they're based on ancient, ancient literature, which is called the Shankas Moor. And the Shankas Moor was true in Scotland. And there was a form of Shankas Moor in Wales, too. And it was a true democracy of the people. And the women were equal to men. Women could own property. Women were educated just as much as a man would be. There were women doctors in those times. And in fact, the word hospital comes from Old Gaelic called an ospidale. 
same word, same thinking, same thing. And and uh, uh, Diana, when we're following the uh, the sort of cultural context there, and picking mm-hmm. up from the Ireland um, yeah. uh, to conversation, one yeah. of the other things talking about is the language of the trees of the Dru- or the language of the Druids, the tree yes. language. Can you talk yes. about that a bit? Yes. Well, um, now first of all, uh, the, the the Druids in Ireland, and and you know they were mocked by the English in colonization, just like they call the North American people here savages. The Irish were also called savages. We were far from savages. Um, the, the Druids were the elite class of the educated people. And in some instances, it took 32 years to fully educate the mathematicians. And the mathematicians were families within families within families. And the knowledge was passed down the families. And they divined and uh, originated the colonial calendar, which is equivalent to the Julian calendar. And um, they were extraordinary inventors, and they invented the plough the more bored of the plough. And that's how come they were so successful, because they could feed themselves. Um, the, 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 the history of the Irish and, and the aristocracy, and I am a child of the aristocracy. I am the last child of the King of Munster. Um, our, our, our story has never been told. We, we, the people who came to North America were like the O'Kellys and the o, O'Sullivan, the people of the one eye. They were pirates. They were mostly the, the kings and the aristocrats of Europe. But they got beaten down here in North America, and most of them don't even know their own lineage. They don't even know that, that they were the, the aristocracy of an ancient world. And um, they were the ones that were targeted. They were the ones who had to go into the coffin ships. They were the ones who had to sail across and be put on these insulated islands because of their diseases. And it really broke them down. But my goodness, they were a splendid nation. And that's all forgotten because history, the victors, whitewashed the victim. And so uh, moving from sort of historical uh, um uh, conflicts mm-hmm. involving, you know, the nature yeah. and the relationship to sort of philosophy and ideology into a yeah. more modern context. You didn't talk about this too much in the film, but perhaps no. you would hear um, no. about the about any conflicts between this sort of philosophy of science and philosophy of nature um, uh, versus ah. the sort of modern obsession with money and capitalism. Okay, okay. Well, now um, the film uh, Call of the Forest is based on uh, my best-selling book called The Global Forest. I imagine you know that. And that has gone all over the world. And actually, it is being printed in, in Chinese. And it will come out of Beijing in China in a few months' time. And so the status of that is my status as a scientist. And I'm an award-winning scientist. And my arena was open-heart surgery and a hemodilution within the system of the body, the understanding of how the heart works. So I carried that science into the philosophy of the ancient Irish culture, which put the two together in a form of renaissance. You cannot separate science from sacred thinking, in my opinion. And because every time you open the outside onion, uh, skin of an onion, you find there's another skin inside. In all kinds of ways, you find that within science, in quantum mechanics, within the structure of the molecule, within the movement of the electrons within the molecule and the spacing of it in valencies and the spacing of that, even going into music, the music of poetry. We should never have...
have separated the two because there is a form of sacred thinking bound into both. That is really extraordinary. And there is no scientist worth anything in the globe right now who could tell you, Saren, the answer to this question. How does water get to the top of a tree, a 300-foot tree? Nobody knows. We don't even understand that. That is tied into the atmosphere. It's tied into groundwater. It's tied even into the very ocean that we have around us. Nobody understands that. And if they do understand it and thread it apart, they will get a Nobel Prize. Hmm. And so I think that we're backtracking a bit here, uh, but uh, I think that's a really good place to ask you to comment on something you actually begin. The, it's a very beginning of the film, which is mm-hmm. the natural medicine and the, the, the uh, yeah. I hate to use the word utility, but essentially yeah. the utility of forests, the very practical utility oh, of forests. God. Oh, my God, yes. Um, this is, you know, 60% of all of our medicines come from forests. And that's true for North America. It's true for all over the world. Um, it is now especially true in the Congo, especially true in the Amazon. But we have regulatory compounds in our trees here in North America, in the temperate area going up into the boreal forest. And we never have had um, serious science look at that. But we have had the, the voice of the Aboriginal people. Their medicine, most of their medicine comes from trees. And if it doesn't come from trees, it comes from the four corners of the earth, the north, the south, the east, and the west, into a component of four separate sets of molecules that are added together in, in a scenario that is, uh, given to, um, is given to a patient. I have many, many, many of the rare trees of North America in my garden. I have an enormous arboretum. And I have set that up as a model for the world. I've written the, the actual the guidebook of the world for replanting the forest. And that was with Archangel Company. Um, so it is very, very important. We're taking down major species in the world. I'm not talking just about Canada. In the world that have some very complex medicines in them. And I am also an organic chemist. I could not take those chemicals and mimic them in a lab because they're far too complex. So we have to get them from source. We have to get them from nature. And some of these are strongly anti-cancer compounds. They're very, very important. And that's where forest bathing, you asked me earlier on, forest bathing comes in. For instance, if you go down into the redwoods, in, in the United States and you go in as a young man early in the morning and then stay there as the, as the sun is rising and the mist is rising, it carries a compound from the redwoods called taxodione. And that taxodione is strongly anti-cancer for prostate cancer. So as a young man, if you go in there, you will shield yourself against these cancers. And I have where many, many... Uh, many, many disciplines on my head. I am very interested in the answers to that within the arena of, 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 can, of cancer treatment because a lot of my own personal research at the universities has gone to the addition of that kind of cancer research. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very interested in how do, we, how do we play this out with people? And one way we can play it is by going into the forest the pinenes in forest 
will boost your immune system and boost your immune system by 30 days. That's a significant thing to do. And it's for free, you know. So I am kind of, I am kind of leaning towards telling people, just take care of yourself. Go into nature and you will find all kinds of benefits in nature as well as healing climate change. I, I should know to some of our listeners know, and uh, but not all of them. And, and just for your knowledge as well, I actually uh, survived cancer last year, so I'm particularly interested in that. Oh, you did! Oh God, I'm so sorry that you even had it. <laughs> um, no, my my own personal research was making non-typing blood, and it's called stroma-free hemoglobin, and it's a form of blood that is used now in cancer delivery. That's my personal research. Hmm. So I am very glad that my work had some hand in healing you. And thank you very much for that, by and the way. And that's a blessing to me, and it is a blessing to you. Mm. Uh, Deanna, uh, just, uh, for just, we have just time for one final quick question. I wanted, just in case anyone's tuning in, we're speaking mm-hmm. to uh, award-winning scientist, uh, uh, bo- uh, uh, botanist, and biochemic, uh, biochemist Deanna Beresford-Kroger. I believe I got that right. Uh, you're fine. <laughs> close enough. Um, so my final question for you, and I, I had several more written down, but this is all we have time for, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. If you can just talk just for a minute. Um, you said some very beautiful things about two-thirds of the way through when you were speaking about your own garden and your, mm-hmm. your attitude and your feelings towards why you do that, what the purpose of that is and, and how that makes you feel. If you can, if maybe we can just end on that note. Well, the purpose is that, that a lot of the species in North America, I have the secretary of the First Nations here in the garden. And in the Arnold Arboretum, it was cut down. So as far as I know, I'm the only person with this. I have found the sister to this sacred tree. It's called Petalia trifoliata chrysidifolia down in Texas. I was hung out of a helicopter for four days, and I gridded a huge area in Texas. And I found that tree, and it's the one tree, and it's under arm guard right now. And that tree contains marmosan, and marmosan is a synergistic compound. It will synergize all medicines. It's synergistic for the biochemical pathways of the body. And that is very important for cancer. That's some of the things that I'm doing. I'm propagating it up here, and I have instructions down there in Texas to propagate it. I am interested in giving medicines and being aiding medicines into the natural world, into ordinary people, so that you can take something like an aspirin and you can have complete protection of your immune system. I am interested in that. And don't ask me why I am. I want to fend off disease. I have the mind of a scientist and I want to do it because it should be done. Well, thank you so much, Diana. You're you're giving me goosebumps right now because I'm, uh, as listeners of the show will know, I'm a massive fan of Carl Sagan, partially for the reason that he uh, he has such a beautiful way of weaving sort of science and philosophy together, and, and you're reminding me of him right now, and you should take that as a deep compliment. So, Thank you, I do, and be my <laughs> ambassador. You people listening to me, be my ambassador, hold my hand, and we'll stop climate change. Thank you so much, Diana. You're welcome. All right, so uh, we will have links uh, to the film and descriptions and the uh, preview that you can watch it. I would uh, recommend that you go and do so. It's going to be available in Toronto on July the 13th at 6.30, uh, followed with a Q&A. So you can actually meet uh, Dana and uh, some of the other people involved with the film at the uh, TIFF uh, Bell Lightbox uh, on the 13th at 6.30. Uh, if you're not in Toronto or can't be in Toronto on that date, I'm sure there will be other opportunities and you can look that up on the website. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, we are going to now go to our second and final music break. And then Stefan, who's been uh, warming up in the bullpen. Uh, you like that? 
excellent reference. Thank you. Uh, we're going to just have a quick music break here. This is, uh, and again, I know I'm saying this wrong, but I can't remember how the proper pronunciation is. Uh, Tanya Tajik uh, with Retribution. All right, we're back. We're into the final home stretch here of the Green Majority here on CIT 89.5 FM. Our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners internationally, uh, uh, particularly across uh, Canada, where most of our stations are. Uh, also to our big chunk of American listeners who are uh, listening to us through a couple of our American partners and uh, through the podcast, which is also where you can go to find information about the show, uh, find the show notes, which I write uh, every week, giving uh, fairly good uh, details about what we talk about, as well as all the links to anything we talk about at all. So you can all Always check our references on everything we talk about. Uh, well, almost everything, because sometimes I mention things I don't plan to. But aside from that, <laughs> uh, we mention everything, and you can do that at greenmajority.ca. Stefan, we have uh, about uh, 16 minutes, and uh, I'm going to give them mostly back to you because we're, we're picking up where you left off. So just in case anyone's tuning in, if you want to just sort of recap what yeah, we're talking sure. about. Yeah, yeah. So we started off the show with a bit of a conversation about uh, just the number of regulations that are being rolled back by the Trump administration. Um, and, and most of those... Most of those were actually related to were, were not necessarily directed to climate change. Obviously, the ones with methane were, uh, and anything to do with coal obviously increases this. And so, um, so, so those particularly sort of carry on. But in reality, what we've what we've noticed and what a long history of scholarly work has shown is that really these regulations and the, and the the places where these regulations lapse and the places where the, these that these things are allowed to get worse are primarily within uh, poorer neighborhoods. Uh, and so the, the the entire field of environmental justice came out from this from this from this realization that there's a strong correlation. It should to no one who lived through this is surprise uh, between not having uh, between being in a poor neighborhood and increase whether it's you know it's easier to put in you know like whether it's sort of toxic. Um, uh, like chemical plants, or if it's landfills, or or really just anything you just wouldn't want uh, that, that that will leach in and, and cause environmental degradation, it's a much much higher percentage chance it's going to be in a poor neighborhood. And so this this sort of expands this. The study is a study that was published uh, in Science magazine. Uh, you can always tell that I was once told that the way you can tell the importance of a magazine uh, is the fewer of the words, the more basic the word is, the more high flute the magazine is because it's been around for longer. So science seems like a pretty is a, is, a, is is one of the most well known science magazines. You got first in line for that license plate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, that's why the biggest ones are science and nature and things like this. <laughs> um, and so and so one of the one of the most prestigious um, uh, articles or places to get your article published, basically. Um, and it's it's but in in it's in in it's a fascinating fascinating look at what is going to happen specifically in the United States um, with climate change and so for a long time there have been all these conversations about what the economic uh, what economic uh, impacts climate change will have and it, and for a long time all of the actual studies were done uh, statewide and so they would just do they, they would they would sort of understand what would happen generally and then map that out to the states as a whole this was this is one of the first studies to really dig in and actually modeled every day of weather in the U.S. Uh, in, in every U.S. county during the 21st century. So every U.S. county, every single day is modeled uh, for until 2100. And, and the idea there is to sort of show what would happen with different amounts of, of warming. And, and really what, and, and what they've come up with and what they've discovered is that if you, unsurprisingly, if you are in the, the places that are already m poorer um, are... Uh, are really uh, are going to get 
are going to hit even harder, basically. Uh, and it, it, it's especially the South. Uh, the, the, the southern states uh, get hit much, much harder than the northern states. Um, and so a lot of the damage will go there specifically. Well, and it's, they have some fantastic maps in this, in this article and in, in this about sort of the amount of which they, the, what they actually do is quite fascinating. They actually do a total economic damage by percent of county GDP. And they have a map sort of showing that, like, interestingly, that the north actually ends up uh, by their between, between this is one map between 2080 and 2099, um, that the north actually get, may actually see some benefits, may actually see some economic benefit. Uh, in that it will become, you know, that will be more able land, stuff like that, stuff like that. But it will be at a steep, steep cost to the, uh, to the, to the south, and especially the southeast. Um, you know, Florida is looking at maybe each county losing something like twenty eight percent of its GDP, um, and and so the, the the income disparity that we already see in the states is only going to get more get worse as as climate change expands. And what's interesting about these maps is that they were only really able to it goes up to four degrees warming. Which is basically, and there's a very like off the cuff, but like side note in this article, in which it just sort of just states off the side of the thing, like four degrees warming, which is basically where our current climate, uh, current Paris Agreement leads us to. And you realize, like, that, that I mean the agreement that says we're going to keep it to 1.5? That's the, that, that, that agreement, the one that, that, that's the, and it's true, the, you know, the, the actual amount of, uh, commitment that everyone has made, despite the fact this is 1.5, you know, it's supposed to ramp up is the idea, um, would actually currently still lead us to about four degrees warming by 2100. And, and there is just, yes, yeah, so you're seeing some, you're seeing some things in which you lose, you know, 20, 30%. And it's interesting about this GDP conversation is that is presuming nothing catastrophic happens. Like this is, this is sort of a, it's not a best case scenario, obviously, because we're talking about four degrees warming, but it's four degrees warming from a standpoint in which, you know, you not the the you're not dealing with some of the other pieces of this. You're not dealing with you know uh, migration and what 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 people leave in these counties would end up causing. You're not dealing with internal migration. You're not dealing with uh, just like the catastrophic you know a, a catastrophic failure of crops. You're not dealing with some of the, the the bigger fears here. This is really just sort of like it's weird to say this is the best case scenario if you get to four degrees warming, but it's sort of like if nothing catastrophic happens, this is where we'd be, and it's still very bad. Um, and so it's weird talking about GDP uh, losing you know twenty percent GDP uh, in some of these counties because you know exactly what are you how exactly are you talking about that uh, and and there could be a much bigger inf- impact if if anything if any of the sort of catastrophic things occur. But also, it's not just GDP. It's it's things like you're looking at uh, the loss of human life, and this is this is fascinating. Is that you, they also did a map of same idea, the map of how many people uh, will actually lose ma- will lose life, and approximately uh, people almost in in almost every county between El Paso, Texas and Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's a pretty wide range. uh, We'll see a mortality rate rise by more than 20 people uh, out of every hundred thousand. And when I heard that, I was like, "Ah, that that doesn't mean anything to me. What is, what is 20 people uh, out of a hundred thousand people really mean? Uh, So by comparison, Car accidents kill about 11 Americans out of, out of 100,000. So this is basic. So imagine all of the road deaths we, we, can, we know of in, in the States each year. And climate change will be killing almost twice that every single year um, in, uh, you know, in, in less than 100 years. And, and this is from just heat. This is you know from the sort of the, the this is not from again this is not this really isn't even necessarily extreme weather uh, like there's little there's some understanding of extreme weather but it's not but this is more this is not a catastrophic event this is the sort of the the day to day danger and it's again super localized in uh, in the south 
And, and, and so if you are living in Texas or some of these other states, you need to be paying attention to this. This is, this is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Um, and and, and, to, and to, to the, the last piece of this uh, about this is, is the it's, all, it's not just it's not just death. It's not just uh, it's not just uh, money. It's food. And the the agricultural food yields are 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 off the chart. You know, you're looking at you're looking at some places that lose that that are, you know, this is actually interestingly more the east coast rather than rather than or the east, sort of the east side of the states, not even this coast, um, goes all the way into the middle of the states. But you're seeing massive agriculture yield uh, reductions then t- there too. And so this is food, this is lives, and this is money. Uh, all of which is basically it, all done it, done to an extent in which you can really dig into the data and really understand uh, what's happening. And it lets you really tell a much more clear story of we sort of always have this boogeyman of what uh, of what four of what you know above two degrees warming is you know it's what three and four and five degrees warming looks like um, and this helps you really dig in to actually see what what and who and where the impacts will be. But again, what's important to remember here is that when you talk about ninety percent crop yield uh, loss uh, in some of these areas, that's that has a massive cascading effect, which we are not even talking about. And and the and, and the people who are gonna be impacted by this are the people who are already struggling. You know, these are not the people, you know, the the people who are living in their in their gated homes uh, may ha- may end up may end up building a higher gate. Uh, but they're not really the ones who aren't, you know, if they're getting their Amazon drones to drop their burritos into their into their <laughs> gated community, which is how I envision twenty one hundred. Yeah. Um if of course you can fly drones because of how hot all the air will be. So I guess maybe that's right. maybe Good that's point. maybe that's the real concern. Yeah. But um, but this is this is the this is what we're talking about. These these are different things. These are all of these different ways that you will end up seeing uh, global warming unchecked impact the world. And they're and and it's 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 one of these things where it's it's actually terrifying. If you if you start looking at some of the stuff and it, it feel doesn't feel real right now because you're you know it's a it's eighty years out. Um, but also, B, it, it, you know, we are trying not to do this. This we're trying not to have this happen. But when you look at some of the stuff, you know, some of these some of these data points and, and what's actually happening, it's it gets it gets really real very quickly. And so, you know, it's not just it's not just this. Uh, it's not just the fact that you know that we that we won't be able to eat um, or buy anything uh, or because you'll be spending all your money trying to just survive. It's that the people – it's that these are the people and who it's affecting are people who are already marginalized and it's only going to get worse for them. Yeah, and uh, to, to, we've just got uh, about five or six minutes left. I just want to sneak in before we get there while we were talking about correlations. Uh, another interesting correlation is that – and I, I feel like many people probably don't know this, although maybe I might be surprised how many people do. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. Uh, I feel like this is probably one of those things most people don't know, which is that you know, one of the reasons – there's a reason why, aside from just being racist, why – Right-wing politicians, particularly in the United States, but this is generally a common problem, uh, will fear fear monger against the black community or the people of color community in their countries. And in the Americans, it provides a very clear example of what the purpose of this is, aside from actually just being racist. There's an additional reason. And it has to do with what Stefan was just talking about, which is in the South, (laughs) where there's a lot of uh, arguably ignorant conservative voters, or at least there's more of them in the South. um, They are all largely, this is the part most people don't know, they are all, generally speaking, if you order the states on lists of people who give money, net, net give money to other states or net take money from other states, it's 
very clear. All of the conservative states in the South are the ones that are all the welfare states. They're all the ones that take all of the money. The, one, the people who actually depend on those social programs, depend on uh, social security, depend on uh, all sorts of welfare net and depend on food stamps and all those things that, that you hear, you've heard up until recently, thank goodness, uh, Bill O'Reilly go on and on and on about all those things about deriding about, you know, black people or people of color, he would say, you know, the way he would say it, you know, black people are taking your money um, is because it's actually their money. Like they're trying to actually rob it's the conservatives that are making these racist inspired votes and the, and the politicians that are promoting these racist uh, ideas that are actually, they're the constituents, their voters are the ones who have the most to lose from this, but they're trying to, but the reason for setting it up as a political thing and be like, Oh, it's your enemies who are the ones who are taking from you and you should hate them. And, and, and harp and tying that into that existing strain of racism. Uh, when in fact, not only is that wrong, obviously I don't have to say that, but I'll say it anyway, but it's them. It's to, it's to bait and switch the fact that they're actually the ones who have the most to lose from this stuff. Right. When we're talking about poor people, a giant section of those, Yes, a giant section of those people are people of color uh, in the United States, but another giant section of them are ignorant, poor, right-wing voters who voted for Trump. And it's it's just this whole bait and switch. It's all a game. Well, it, it, the thing about – what's interesting about the this particular belt of uh, of states that, that are super hard hit by – A, by this sort of – will be super hard by climate change, but also are really um, – end up doing this whole back and forth with what they're actually working on um, is that – these are like they're also just they're, they're like Mississippi and some of these other states are 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 yes are are the states that end up taking more money from the federal government than giving, uh, but they're also end up you know they're also these um, they're very, they're very segregated uh, and there's a completely different way of, of understanding how these things are going, and so there's you know and, and so people are leaving like, that's, like like what's interesting about this is that we're going to end up we're really going to end up start, like the difficulty that is never really di- discussed and we've sort of mentioned the show a bit and that, that but, but which needs to be really understood i think more and more firmly especially if if we don't get our act together on climate change is the amount of which internal migration is going to is going to massively change uh the landscape uh you know the internal migration from uh from states that are being heavy hit or, or people where people can't live anymore and, and are you know you're already seeing it generally with with people moving more and more and more in cities and leaving rural areas but the amount of which this 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 the climate change can exacerbate that already internal migration uh, out of these places in which it's very in, in which it is only going to get hotter <laughs> um is is something that we don't really end up talking about and ends up getting lost in a lot of actual calculations and conversations because they don't actually exist in uh, – they're not, they're not migrants. They are not considered migrants within the counting community uh, of how many you – know, so whenever they would do any understandings of how many migrants will, will, will move, that only counts if you leave the country. Uh, a country, any country, uh, internally, uh, which is a massive amount of this displacement, displacement you're going to see from climate change is entirely missed by these calculations. And so I feel like what we, what we're start, like, like, and we think about it usually in places, uh, in places that are a already for the South and, and B already, already getting hit by, by this, but it's going to happen in the States too. You know, there's not, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of places in which the parts of the States will will flood and won't exist anymore. And so there's going to be a ton of internal migration as well within within the states itself that is being missed, I think, by even even these sort of – these studies sort of can help you understand where people are, might be coming from and going to, but they don't yet uh, accurately include what the impacts of that internal migration will be on the rest of the country. 
All right. Thank you very much, Steph. Time. So we got to go. Thank you so much for listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM and our wonderful partner stations. Have a good green week. Check out the links at greenmajority.ca and take care. We'll see you real soon.